0: I just want to take the time to say that John is someone who speaks into my life on a regular basis and I praise God for him and I consider it an honor. I know I've stood here before and I've said the same thing, but I don't take it for granted that John would call on me when he needs someone to fill the pulpit. That is an immense uh, responsibility and I find it to be a blessing that he he can turn to me and say, hey, brother, preach for me today. It is, it's a blessing to be here with you at Crossway. Um, something that I tell him frequently is if I found myself tomorrow without a church home, this is where I'd be. This is exactly where I'd be under his preaching and fellowshipping with you wonderful saints here at Crossway. Uh, we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3 in just a moment before we do that, I just want to to share a few thoughts with you, and I want to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord's Day, for the opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ, to remember your sacrifice on our behalf, to fellowship with the saints, and to study from God's Word. Lord, I pray today that what we know not, you will teach us. What we are not, you will make us. And what we have not, you will give us. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. What is the church? When we speak of the doctrine of the church, what do we mean by that? I came across a church sign not long ago that really stuck out at me. Now I know a lot of times those things are cringy. <laughs> they're terrible, they're awful. But this one, this one stuck in my mind. It says, the church is not where we go, but it's who we are. And as we think about that, it's it's straight from God's word. The church is not a building. The church is not just a, a place that we go for one hour or two hours on a Sunday. The Bible tells us very clearly that the church is who we are. So the question for us this morning is, who are we? What are we supposed to look like? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul has outlined the qualifications for church officers, what are the character qualifications? What are the gifts and the abilities that that are to be present in the elders and the deacons of a local church? Now, we're not going to read from there today, but I want to ask the question, why did he take the time to, to labor in that way and to teach such things? Well, Paul, in the text that we'll read this morning, tells us why. He tells us why these details are so important and why we need to live in accordance with God's written word. The church isn't what we want it to be. The church is to be what God has prescribed it to be. If you speak to someone who perhaps they're new to the area, they're looking for a church, and you ask them what they're looking for, many times they'll begin to speak about things like, well, the music I need a particular kind of music that makes me feel a certain way. Or I need to go to a church that has a a grand youth ministry. They've got something going on for the kids. They're hip, they're cool, they're relevant. But I say again, we don't get to decide what church is to look like because God has told us in his written word what church is to look like. And we don't have the right change God's word in accordance with our own wishes and wants. If we're going to live together as the body of Christ, if we're going to do life and do ministry together, then we need God's word to be our guide. That's the only way that you and I can live a godly life in Christ Jesus together. And so Paul goes on in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, to speak about God's system, and he tells us three things: what our corporate conduct should look like, what our corporate identity is, and what our corporate confession should be. And so I want to read from First Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse 14, First Timothy chapter three, verse 14, and I'm reading from the English standard. It says, "I hope to come to you soon." But I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. It was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. This is the Word of God. It is for us as people. Thanks be to God for it. As I have already mentioned, Paul is teaching us three things in this text. And so firstly, let's look at corporate conduct. What is our corporate conduct to be as the body of Christ? Well, he tells us in verses 14 and 15, he writes, I'm writing these things to you so that, You may know how one ought to behave. In the New American Standard, it says, I write to you so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself. Now, two questions need to be asked here. What and why? What is Paul talking about? Well, he spent the bulk of this letter, particularly chapter 2 and now chapter 3, laying it out and defining it for us. We won't take the time to go back through it all and read the entire passage. We've already read chapter two this morning. But just quickly, as a way of reminder, let's look at what he talked about. In chapter two, he begins by speaking about prayer and urging all men to pray, supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. He tells us how to pray. He goes on to talk about, in verses 9 and 10, modesty, self-control, and godliness for the women in the church. Verses 11 through 15, he speaks on biblical church order. Then he finally, in chapter 3, lays out for us the qualifications for godly elders and deacons. That's the what that he's talking about. But now we ask why, what is the purpose for this behavior that he has labored to lay out for you and I? He tells us that it's for the sake of the gospel, for the purpose of evangelism, so that we will know how to behave in the household of God, which is the, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. R. Kent Hughes wrote that the motivation for this exemplary conduct was openly evangelistic, as mentioned in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And here he says in the key verse of 1 Timothy, the call to proper conduct in the church is made even more compelling by understanding that we, our family, a gathering of people indwelt by the living God, a repository, heralds of the truth. As I read that, I think I think back to John and his gospel, chapter 13 and verse 35, where he said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. As we follow God's word, as we order the church in accordance with what is written, as we deal with one another in biblical and godly ways, it it promotes the gospel. In other words, our witness will be enhanced by this type of Christian conduct that Paul has set forth. Our conduct points people to Christ. And so Paul is saying that the truth is that you are God's people. You are the household of God. And he's saying you need to act like it. You better follow the Father's direction and instruction. So that's our corporate conduct. But we move on to our corporate identity and we see that in verse 15. He writes that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. In the NASB, it says a support of the truth. Let's break that down very quickly. First of all, he says a household. We are an expression of God's family. Let's look at it like this. In, in my household, we're made up of three. Myself as the father, my wife, we have a daughter named Nora Grace. Five, if you count the two pups, seven, if you count the world's two oldest goldfish that refuse to die. But as the head of my household, it's my job to enforce certain rules and regulations, to set the tone, to be the example and how we interact with one another and treat one another. Tasks and expectations need to be defined. They need to be laid out. Well, Paul is saying that as members of God's household, we are to act in certain ways. We are to deal with one another in certain ways. How should we behave? Well, that's why the apostle has labored to lay it all out for you and I and to tell us exactly what's expected of us, how we need to behave how we need to treat one another because we are God's household. But he also says that we are the church of the living God. The word there is Bethel. And it literally means the house of God, the place where God dwells. God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 25, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And in the Old Testament, God chose to reside in a particular place. But we fast forward to the New Testament. There's no temple. There's no physical location. God now dwells in his people. Second Corinthians six and verse 16 says, for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Ephesians 2 and 22, in Him you also are being built up together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is who you and I are if we are in Christ. We are the household of God. We are the church of the living God. But he wraps it up by saying that we're pillars and support of the truth. We are guardians of the gospel, guardians of God's Word. It has been entrusted to us. One of the ways we we expand the kingdom, we propagate the gospel is by acting the way that God has told us to act. Being a household, being the church of the living God, being pillars and support of the truth of the word of God. Listen to these words from one of my favorite preachers, Ligon Duncan. He writes, God's word creates the church. God's promises creates the church. God's truth Creates the church. The church grows and prospers because it feeds on, accepts, embraces God's truth. So why can Paul say that the church is the pillar and support of the truth if the church is that which creates or if the truth is that which creates the church? Simple. Because Paul's talking about the local church. He's not talking about the universal church. He's talking about the local church. Paul is saying that the local church is the place that God has appointed to be essential to the propagation and protection of the truth in the world. He goes on to say, Paul's saying that there can be no long Ranger Christianity. You can't be off on your own, you, Jesus, and your Bible, and expect for the truth to prosper in your life. We need one another as believers. We need one another as encouragement. We need to see one another's lives. We need to see the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of other believers to encourage us to love and good deeds. We need to be saying the word to one another, memorizing the word with one another, hearing the word of God together, serving the word of God together. Together, the church serves as the pillar and support of the truth in the sense That is essential. It is God's essential vehicle for evangelism, for discipleship, for missions, for the defense of the faith. Paul is just pointing out the church is absolutely crucial. It is vital in preserving and propagating the gospel. Amen. Crossway Church is crucial. It is essential Furtherance of the gospel. We are to hold firm the word of God and we are to proclaim the word of God together. That we see is our corporate identity. Finally, we move on to our corporate confession. Verse 16. Paul writes to Timothy Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. What is a confession? I'm not speaking about it in a legal sense, in a courtroom setting, where someone confesses to a crime. You hear about books of confessions, confessions of faith. And it's a practice that isn't as common in... The church today, as it should be in modern evangelicalism, there is a term that has become rather, rather common, and that's evangelic. Maybe you've heard that evangelicalism, a pun that basically means that faith can become spineless without a backbone that it takes on the shape of whatever container it's put in faith that lacks theological firmness and soundness and has been severely influenced by worldly ideas like postmodernism humanism relativism the denomination that i grew up in we had we had the saying no creed but Christ and no book but the bible And it sounds good, but it lacks gravitas, it lacks strength, it lacks depth. Creeds and confessions articulate what we believe about the Bible. And they help clarify doctrinal points and unify a church's leadership around a common theme and idea. Confessions are included in the scriptures and they were recited by early Christians. And they keep us from sliding into liberalism. Paul is laying out a confession for us in that verse of Scripture. He gives us a confession of faith here in this text. He even refers to it as such. Paul confesses. and We confess Christ's supremacy. If you still have your Bibles open, read verse 16 with me. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Let's notice what he says here for just a moment. He speaks of the mystery of godliness. When he says mystery, he's often talking about the revelation of the previously hidden plan of salvation. But when he combines it here with mystery of godliness, he's referring to the fact that the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the key to a godly life. It is the key to a godly church and ministry. Christ makes all these things possible that we've discussed in chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It's only possible in Christ Jesus. What follows next is a hymn of sorts, a worship song, if you will, where he writes, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. He speaks of the revelation of Christ our Savior, the witness and the testimony of these truths. If you and I have believed these things, and Paul's song of praise is also our song of praise, our confession of faith today. This Christ, who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory, he is King. And He reigns forevermore. And godliness in our lives and in this church is just an outflow of all of those things that we confess and that we believe. It's an overflow of Christ in you. So I want to ask you this morning as we begin to close, are you facing suffering? persecution, a trial in your life. Maybe you're going through something hard, something difficult today. I want to remind you of Christ in you. If you're struggling to overcome sin and temptation in your life, Christian, Christ is in you. If you're worried about the times that we live in, which is very natural in this day and age, Crossway, remember Christ is in you. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. It also tells us in Colossians 1 and 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Believe that today. What does all this mean? Our corporate conduct, our identity, our confession together. It means that this is who we are in Christ. This is who we are to be. These truths and this gospel should transform everything about your individual life and your, your household, your family. It should transform this local church the way that you function. Why? All for the sake of the glory of God and for the redemption of of sinners. So as we close, I ask you, who are you, Crosswell? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that it will be in us. I pray that by your spirit today, you will help us to apply the truths of your word. God, remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I pray your blessings on this local congregation, God. I ask you to fill them with your spirit. Give them a passion for your word. God, that they would transform this this little section of Goldsboro where you've placed the We ask these things in the name of Christ our Savior. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.